Blog Talk Radio. We're
Sunday morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the fantastic mothers and grandmothers and aunts and ladies out there and single fathers and everybody. Bobby Rodrigo here. I take liberty with my coffee this morning and every morning. Happy to be with you. I'm talking to you from the cesspool. I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm just finishing up a conference that I'll get into for a few minutes. Looking forward to today's show. I'm going to have a gentleman on by the name of Alex Johnson. Excuse me. Alex is running for the chair, to be the chairman, chairperson of the Georgia State Republican Party. And as everybody knows who listens to my show, that might be a little surprising. Now, of course, I, I've interviewed plenty of people before on many parties, of course, the the national and local politicians from all across the country. And the reason that this interested me, I, I live in Georgia, as many of you know, and a number of people who I have a very high regard for, respect for, uh, support Alex, and I wanted everybody to hear what he had to say and why these people support him for that position. And, of course, me being the anti-party guy, you know, I, I don't have an agenda here other than to talk about what's going on with Alex, you know, so, and, and of course, my agenda is always the truth anyway, as, as we know, so I do have an agenda. I want to know what Alex is all about and why he thinks that he should lead the party and why people I know identify with the Republican Party think Alex would be a good fit. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. I'm always happy to shine a light on the local politics of our country because, of course, all politics are, are in fact local. We, we need to be more involved. And in my view, if we were more involved in local politics, that would give us a chance to reacquaint ourselves with our neighbors and our communities in hopefully a positive way because I think that's something that has been lost in this country to a very high degree and one of the reasons why we're so divisive, a lot of reasons why we're divisive these days, but I think from the standpoint of what we must take responsibility for ourselves, I think a large part of the reason why we're divided is because we don't talk to each other anymore the way we used to, at least when I was a lot younger, when I was growing up. We talked to our neighbors and our community and our friends and, and interacted with them actually in person, not on a keyboard or via text or a video call. You know, the world has changed. I mean, obviously we have to adapt to a degree, but I don't see why we can't. I don't care how we're doing it, but it would be nice if we talked better to the people in our lives that we see every day and are around every day and our families, things like that. I, I think that we would find so much more common ground that way because everybody just wants to, you know, have a – have a nice, stable, secure, regular life, and and I think pretty much everybody is, you know, for the most part, good. So 
anyway, so I'm looking forward to that. So as I mentioned, I'm in D.C., you know, of course, if you listen to the show or you know me, you know I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. It's all, you know, so I'm not going to be too sarcastic just because, you know, I, I love my mother, too. And, and, and I'll, so I'll be, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit in that regard. But, you know, I, I'm here, I, I came here because the American Bar Association tax section. <laughs> yes, I said tax section. Of course, this is, involves my work as legal and operations director for the Tax Revolution Institute. So the tax session had their annual here in D.C. Uh, I do enjoy going to the conferences in, in this in the aspect of I get to interact, talk to, et cetera, with a lot of brilliant, passionate attorneys. And, and you might find that odd saying that from the field of taxation, but it really is true. I've met a, I've met a lot of marvelous attorneys since I've been going to these conferences now for about two years. And also, you know, oddly enough, uh, some of these attorneys either have worked for the IRS or the Department of Treasury or the Department of Justice, or do. And, and I find it interesting that there's a lot more good than bad when it comes to the people, and I think that's pretty much the case overall anyway. I mean, if you, I mean, I don't like the fact that, you know, there are brilliant advocates trying to advocate opportunity, but these are not policy people for the most part. These are people who are working under policy and statute and regulations, et cetera, as far as the government is concerned. But anyway, so the, the, the conferences are good. I mean, they cover a lot of areas that I'm interested in. You know, the impact on on the processes of tax legislation, policy, and procedure to low-income taxpayers. It's a big thing that's going on. Matter of fact, uh, there was a Distinguished Service Award that was awarded to Nina Olson yesterday uh, at a plenary lunch. And she received it because she is the national taxpayer advocate. So she's the person that tells Congress, and, and her office is, was created by statute, the Congress what is wrong and what is right with the way the IRS uh, are doing things or implementing the laws that Congress passed or what regulations they're writing and how best that they are serving the taxpayer. They're all about the taxpayer. And they spend a lot of hours helping the taxpayers as best they can, particularly taxpayers who are not represented by counsel because obviously – uh, you know, taxpayers that are represented by council don't necessarily need the national the, the national taxpayer advocate. So that's that that's positive as well. Yesterday, the chief of staff, the chief I'm sorry, wrong. That, that's wrong. Chief counsel for the the Senate Committee on Finance uh, was the keynote speaker at the same lunch, and it was interesting. And and, and obviously, <laughs> as he said. You know the positions that are expressed are are his and his alone. And, you know, so I'll say that as well. I, I'm not going to put anything that the gentleman said out there as a representation of Congress. But it, it was an interesting speech because you know he, obviously there are issues that are going on relative to taxation that are extremely prominent in our discussions uh, in our society right now. And the first one, of course, is the is the uh, AHCA, the repeal and replacement of the ACA. And which I'll comment on here in a second. And also, the tax reform proposals that have been put out there. You have you have a couple of them that are out. Hate them both. Just everybody knows because I hate them because they don't say anything. They're just rhetoric. They really 
uh, you know, Congress. The House of Representatives, just to be clear, the House of Representatives hasn't offered anything specific when it comes to what tax reform may look like. All they've done is saying, well, we want to do this, we want to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and it's going to do this, and it's going to do that. But let me tell you, folks, when it comes to the tax code, if you don't see it in black and white, it doesn't mean anything because there are so many moving parts to the tax code and the regulations and the policy and the IRS manual and all other aspects, what the tax court has said, what the, what, what the federal circuit court has said, what the district courts have said, what the appellate courts, the circuit courts have said, and what the United States Supreme Court says, that, that there's just no way to know what anything is going to do or what any approach to tax reform is going to do until you see it actually in black and white to what it does. So <laughs> I say that as a preamble to talking about the AHCA. So here we have, for the last seven years, this will be, this will be a party discussion for a moment. Here we have the last seven years, the... Republican Party and the federal government and pretty much everywhere else has came out against the Affordable Care Act. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what their position has been. They wanted it repealed, period. They did nothing else but repealing it. Biggest, or most interesting, not the biggest, the most interesting part of what just happened to me was that they didn't repeal and replace it. All they did was change it to some degree. Uh, they replaced a couple of things, but but the main but if you repeal if you would have repealed the ACA, the first thing you would have done, and this is the part where I come in and say what my opinion is, the first thing you would have done is you would have removed the IRS from the healthcare business completely. And what is interesting from an ideological standpoint. As opposed, you know, from party platforms, is the party that completely, well, completely. I'm using very bad. I probably because I won't be sarcastic this morning because of Mother's Day, but I'm using bad adjectives. Anyway, the the part, the party that constantly screams about the IRS and about taxation, and on top of that about the ACA, has. I did not even entertain removing the IRS from the health care business. Now, I, I don't just say that as a flip remark because I'm in, uh, in taxation with the Tax Revolution Institute, and, and we don't believe, for a lot of reasons, that the IRS should be in the revenue business. But if you look at this from a non-ideological, from a common sense standpoint, we know that taxpayer dollars are wasted in a bureaucratic morass of crap and with inefficiency by our government, period. Now, you know, for those of you on the left, that, that you know, when you hear an organization that has the name tax in it, you know, you immediately assume, unfortunately, and, and I understand why because of the rhetoric, but you immediately assume that, you know, we're into defunding the government, repeat taxation is theft, and we don't want to, you know, we just want our, our government to crumble and all this stuff. And that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth as far as we're concerned. We have been discussing uh, the revolution, what we see as the revolution, and, and we want the government to earn your tax dollars. That doesn't mean that the government might not be able to do that. It doesn't. Government might not be the best organization on particular things. But 
getting back to the discussion with the Republicans and the AHCA, tax reform, et cetera. So if you remove the IRS from healthcare, think about the benefits of how our tax dollars are spent more efficiently would be. You are proponents, this is Republicans, you are proponents of smaller government, allegedly, of course. When I say the Republican Party, of course, the establishment is part of that, just like the Tea Party is, and just like the centrists are, and whatever other term, sub-term you want to use. But you talk about small government, we talk about, you know, the funding to the IRS has been cut recently. Talk about some of the inefficiencies going on, and yet you have the IRS in means testing, excuse me, means testing, and also in the compliance business when it comes to the Affordable Care Act and the AHCA. So one of the easiest ways for you to have the revenue agents work more efficiently within a budget that you are which you have trimmed anyway. Now anybody who knows any IRS attorney, like I have gotten to know in the last few years, they will tell you without question that they are understaffed and they don't have a lot uh, enough money to do a number of things that go on in their life, period. That that is just uh, just a fact. By having the IRS in the healthcare business, and I, and I think it was wrong to do this from out the gate. I understand why they did it legally, but it's, it's still it's not necessary at all. It's just a, it's an easy way to, because of the mandates that are involved, it's an easy way to verify income and things like that. But there are other ways to do that. So anyway, they they lay, they leave the IRS. I went. We went out and we asked pretty much, oh, I don't know, a large group of congressmen, in person, as a matter of fact, why are are they leaving the IRS? This is to the Republican congressman. Why are they leaving the IRS in, or why aren't they taking the IRS out of the And they wouldn't answer the question. They just wouldn't acknowledge that that existed. Only one actually did even say anything about it, and then agreed with that aspect of it. There's just one, one congressman in the entire and the entire Congress has actually come out, and of course now we're approaching the senators to see what they think. But I don't get it. Tax reform is on the table. What better way to reform? Oh, and that's not just, that's not the only thing on the table. Roscoe, the subcommittee for the who runs the subcommittee for the House Ways and Means Committee, is is starting a hearing on Friday of this week, May nineteenth, where it will actually be there as well. Uh, my my colleague Jeff Lewis would be in the audience at least, and then probably following up with members of the of the committee afterwards. Nina Olson is going to be testifying. That's how they're going to start it. And what this is about is this is about IRS, not tax reform. This is about IRS reform, restructuring, et cetera. The Republicans have made it very clear that Koskinen is on their hit list to be removed, that they want to restructure how IRS does stuff. Well, you know what? Let's just say for – argument's sake that you're correct, that this needs to happen, okay? So this needs to happen, so why not take the IRS out of the healthcare business and put them back in the revenue business like, and leave healthcare to the healthcare people, no matter what kind of mandates you leave in. And, I mean, that's a whole different subject. We're strictly talking about 
the IRS structure and, and tax reform. I don't get it, guys, and I'm calling you out on it from the standpoint of your ideological stance. You're not being honest to your constituents. You're not at all. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. You still, I mean, compliance, is, and, and what people don't realize is that it, it ultimately, because there are, there are penalties involved in this process, and the first thing I ever learned by the first conference I went to ever for the American Bar Association Tax Section Committee, the first thing that I learned in the very first panel that I sat in front of was the impact of the ACA compliance by the IRS to low-income taxpayers, to the tune of over 600,000 people in the country that were. And, and when you say low-income, I'm not. We can talk about poverty and we can talk about middle class. These are the people that were getting hammered all the time because of their inability to pay the penalty even for not getting health care. And what everybody needs to understand, by leaving the IRS in this game, that game, Bedward, leaving the IRS within this law from the compliance side means ultimately people can go to jail if they can't pay the penalty within the time frames that they're supposed to. And mind you, you're talking about people who can't afford to pay the penalty because any large amount of money, and large by meaning anything that's four digits even, is too much for somebody to pay when they're not making enough money to survive or barely making enough money to survive as it is. And then you add interest in, in, on top of that. You know, they go to the tax court, etc. They can be charged for tax evasion, etc. And then on top of that, you have the passport law and, and mind you, a lot of people say, well, you know, well, people on the left, for example, oh, that's great because they can hold the rich people accountable. And I, and I laugh at that because the threshold for the, the passport cancellation, if you have a outstanding IRS bill, is $50,000. Well, usually when people have bills that would cause, in the far, in the, as far as like the time, way it happens is you get an assessment, can't pay it, there's always penalty and interest, and those things keep going until the matter is resolved or a compromise is done. There's a whole bunch of hearing type, different types of approaches that you have in it, but of course, these people aren't going to have counsel. $50,000 threshold may just be $5,000, $10,000 of actual tax money that is allegedly owed, and the rest of it is interest and penalty. This isn't about some kind of arbitrary number that only affects a certain population. This is to the left. You know, and, and you, first of all, it shouldn't happen to anybody. I don't, I, passport cancellation, give me a break. And, and there's an aspect of that that needs to be talked about as well. Passport, you have a bill that you owe the government, and they can now cancel your passport. It doesn't matter if you happen to have used it and you're over in, well, Russia's popular these days. Let's just say you're in Russia. <laughs> a lot of you people would think, well, let's leave there. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. But let me tell you, let me tell you, just, just as a final note on this tax discussion, let me tell you something else about this. Starting next year, we are going to have the federal identification kick in. And this is basically an opt-in, opt-out thing with the state. So if you travel to New York, for example, which, which I do a lot, when you go to the airport in New York, it says clearly, starting next year, you are going to be required to have the federal type ID. And, and, 
and this, a state that you're coming from has to be opted in. In order for you to get on, go through TSA in New York, for example, and New York's not the only one doing this. New York is one of the states that have opted into this particular thing. So if you have a New York state identification, you're going to be able to use it because it has the, the basically the security features and the ID that, the, that this particular law enhances. Well, I don't live in New York, so where I live, they don't have this particular type of ID. So that means that in order for me to travel inside of the United States into New York, for example, well, I use New York specifically because I spread the signs there myself, I'm going to have to use my passport. I will not be able to use my Georgia license. Think about that. I have to use my passport. Now, add to that fact that if I owe the IRS money and I haven't paid it, whether because I don't want to, because I can't, whatever reason, and I've gone through this credit process and I've gone through the procedures, I've gone to the tax court, et cetera, I've gone through the appellate process inside the IRS, all these things that have happened, we have premised, and I haven't been able to pay it, don't want to pay it, don't care, whatever the reason is, I now cannot travel within this country because my passport will be canceled and I don't have a federal identification because my state doesn't, well, I don't agree with the federal ID anyway, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It, it, my state has not opted in as there are only two states right now that have. I mean, so let's be clear on that I'm aware of. It could be, there could be more since I, since I saw the sign, but as of the last time I saw the sign, which is probably about two months ago or maybe less, there's only two states that have opted into this whole thing. So 48 states have not opted into this federal identification. So if you owe money to the tax department, the state department can be asked, cancel your passport, which will make it impossible for you to fly on a plane within the United States of America. Does anybody have any idea how big of a constitutional violation that is? Travel has is part of our constitutional protections and they, I, it's, it's amazing how many times they will legislate constitutional protection away and they'll use best government entry like the government has rights I mean it's the government it's the government it's not a person the government needs to be protected from me and my tax bill so they can cancel my passport and I won't be able to travel within the United States if those circumstances are that way. And mind you, I'm giving you a hypothetical that is not going to be uncommon. And, you, and, and just to be clear, I had this discussion yesterday with a very, very fine attorney uh, who works uh, out of uh, Philadelphia. And, and, or no, I'm sorry, wrong attorney, uh, Anson. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a fellow, with an attorney in lives in uh, fellow Georgian, lives in Georgia. And he's actually going to put together a panel at the next IRS tax session meeting, and, and this is about the Fort Law is coming into effect, number one. And also, the IRS is now, again, using private collection companies. So now, you have thrown a, an extra layer of bureaucratic nonsense into this, because collections process, how collection works from a legal standpoint. You know, what the laws say, how that process works, what collection companies can do, how long it can go, all of those things is another layer of process that is completely removed 
from the tax process and the collection process of the taxation. So now what happens, for example, this is how bad what happens if a, if a collection company is, has been hired to go after and they haven't been able to collect anything. But then, while that's going on, you have entered into a compromise, the IRS. Your passports could still remain canceled because of the collection process and the way those laws work and how they report and who they report to. It is a mess. Excuse me for that. The cherry blossoms are getting to my nose here, and I'm not an allergy guy, but I seem to have to blow it a lot here in Georgia. I mean, in D.C. I'm thinking it's the cesspool, but that's just another story. But so understand what's going on here. Your government, which from an ideological standpoint is now controlled in all seats of power by one party, laws were created um, while both parties were in power. This law is was, and then that's the other problem I have with Washington when they get into these ideological battles is they pass more bipartisan voted on things than people even realize because the media spends all their time telling us how bad each party is. That's really what goes on every day. I mean, the media, of course, wants to tell us how to think. They don't want us to think. So they actually admitted that. One of the media stations just admitted that about two months ago on how it's their job to tell us how to think, not the, not the government. Not that I need anybody telling me how to think, but I'm just saying. But this situation with the IRS is just another example on how, I mean, do you you want to have a law and an enforcement process in this country that stops people from flying within the borders of this country because they may not be able to pay or refuse to pay an IRS bill for whatever reason? That means that they they should have travel restrictions? That, that one has nothing to do with the other. And the way that this law is created and the way that it's functioning, it, it, it is absurd. And, of course, it, it, if, I mean, we all know that if you get into a battle with the IRS and, and it's from the standpoint of I'm just not going to pay them, I don't care, too bad, et cetera, if you get into that battle with the IRS, then ultimately they'll probably prosecute you and send you to jail or take or do, do a, a, an asset forfeiture, take some real property, you know, all those things that, that happen in the standpoint of law enforcement because, you know, mind you, it's a law enforcement issue. So that's, that's what's already on the books. This other part is insane to me. I, I just don't understand. I mean, I'm a liberty guy. I, I take liberty with my coffee. I got my cup of coffee here. I take a little liberty. I put it right inside the cup. Let me tell you, matter of fact, let me let me freshen my cup right here. It's one of the good things about being in a hotel. Somebody actually services you. You know, they bring me the coffee. So anyway, so I, okay, I said I wasn't going to be sarcastic on Mother's Day, so I have to tone it down a little bit. But, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. And no one, is, no one is talking about it. And why? Well, a lot of reasons. Elected officials aren't going to talk about this. No way. And then, and then you have the media, you know, the ones that tell us how to think. They're not going to talk about this. It's not going to sell them advertising and, you know. But I'm pretty annoyed. And this is something I want people to talk about a lot. There's a lot of things that go on in our government that I want people to talk about. From a journalist standpoint, it is my job, it is solely my job, to expose what the government is doing, whether it's – and when I say expose, that might not even be the most accurate word, but 
exposure doesn't mean negative either. If the government does something good, we're supposed to report it, right? I'm not a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, a Green, and I really, everybody knows me, I'm the anti-guy. But, but from the standpoint of being a journalist, I'm not any of those. I'm a journalist. And, it, and it's my job to report to you the facts, what, the observations, what is happening, and, you know, yeah, if I have an opinion, great. So at the end of the reporting, I, like they used to do, you know, okay, well, here's my opinion on this subject, great. But first I need to tell people what's going on. That's, that's it. Simple, but that doesn't sell until we as people change it. If we tell the world that what's important is the truth to us and we don't want your opinions, maybe the media will start changing what they're doing to us because they're killing us. The media is as bad and duplicit in this as anybody is, and I mean all of them. I, I'm leaving no mainstream media out of this discussion. Ideologue, there, I, there's no one. There is absolutely no media outlet, in my opinion, that is IABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, uh, MSNBC, that is, that is concentrating on telling us the truth and reporting things accurately first. I, I, I'll, if they would just do it first, I would be happy. But they're not. They want to shove experts down our throat to give us opinions on stuff that I have never needed a newscaster's opinion on in my life. And you shouldn't either, in my opinion, because we're, they're, they're killing us. They're, they're destroying our society, they're, and they're helping our corrupt elected officials do the same thing. And so that'll be my <laughs> So I'm sorry to start your Mother's Day off like that. I just, you know me, I just got to speak my mind properly and, and hope for the best out there. So anyway, so getting into this morning's guest. So uh, l- let, me, let me talk a little bit about my guest this morning. Alice Johnson uh, has been working in politics for a long time and, and focusing on the Republican Party in Georgia since he's been in politics. Uh, he, he has been doing it since college and got involved in, and I'll let him talk about the specifics of it, but got involved with the young conservative groups and stuff. And if, if you haven't noticed, I don't like reading stock stuff. I'm just, I'd rather get to know people. So I, I, I read his stuff. I, we have, we have uh, people that work with him are friends of mine. So we've talked about him and so I'm happy to be a little bit more personal about it, you know. But but his credentials, he he certainly is qualified to run for the chairman of a party in a state. Uh, let me just say that he's, he has the history. He's paid his, he's paid the dues. He's devoted his life to civil service. That absolutely should be commended when anybody does that, with, without a doubt, regardless of, of of the politics. He served as secretary, vice chair, and chairman of the DeKalb County Young Republicans. Yes, I'm reading stock stuff now. He is currently president of the Georgia Republican Assembly, a statewide grassroots Republican organization that is part of the National Federation of Republican Assemblies. He served with the DeKalb County Republican Party as an executive committee member, Senate district chair, and general counsel. He's also run for the state senate in Georgia. Alex founded uh, Advanced the DOP, which is uh, an informational organization effort to improve the Republican Party in Georgia by holding politicians accountable. Imagine that. I, I really like that stuff, as you just heard. To, to the principles they claim to support when they took off. He's now running for chairman of the state Republican Party, and I'm happy to welcome him to the show. Alex, good morning. How are you? Oh, good. Good morning. Doing really well. How about you? 
I'm good. Happy Mother's Day to your wife <laughs> and, your, and your mom and yeah. your family and stuff. And and uh, I, I thank you for joining all, all me the, on, all on the, the ladies, holiday. All the ladies that thank you, you too. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody who's responsible for us, right, uh, and, and all the other children in the world, because mothers are, the I think, the most important part of our world. I throw that out there. I think that'll go over well. I, I think that's the truth. I know my mom yeah, was. wouldn't be here without yours. There you go. <laughs> what, Absolutely, what we wouldn't great, be here without them. Yeah, what is what is the great line that some of them have said when they're disciplining us? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Alex, we've never met. Uh, you know, uh, and I'm sure we will in the future. You know, I, I I'm always out there holding people accountable or trying to. So I'm sure I'll come across you. But but in all seriousness, though, we've never met. But a number of people who I know personally in Georgia have talked to me about you the last couple of years, actually, uh, on, you know, just in various discussions about, about the Republican party. And, and I, and I, ha- I'm happy to say to you personally that uh, everything that I've ever heard about you has been pretty positive, uh, you know, from the standpoint of, of what you believe in, how you walk the walk, talk, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk, things like that. So I want to get into some of that with you, um, and, and I guess first, give me the give me the pitch. You know, tell me why, chairman of the Republican Party. Let's start there. Well, the reason why is because we need to have a different direction if we want to actually see people empowered in politics and see Republican principles enacted into law, and to essentially just revitalize the the organization of the Georgia Republican Party. I mean, if you look at the current situation, I mean, it, it's over $300,000 in debt. Um, it, it got there because of, of essentially like a lot of wasteful spending, a racial discrimination lawsuit. I mean, the, the list can go on on how, it's being, how the things need to be improved there. You have maybe 3,000 people in the state of Georgia, three to 4,000, who actually know about and are actively involved in the Georgia Republican Party. You have 2 million-plus people who voted Republican in the last presidential race for Donald Trump. You have the fact that Donald Trump can pull 5,000 people-plus with a week's notice to a convention center in downtown Atlanta. Uh, I I think it's rather inexcusable that less people are actively involved in the GOP than a singular politician can get to a rally with a week's notice. Uh, You have the fact that most county parties aren't getting any support from the state. Um, I mean, all of those reasons and things that are going on are things that I've been fighting to fix and working to fix for the past past two convention cycles, the past four years. And I think that that if we don't actually actively move to to get more people involved and explain to people why they should be voting Republican, how Republican principles improve lives, we're going to have more races like the 6th District where – the Democrats think that they can can win, where um, where we where they have like tons of volunteers. I've had four Democratic door knockers come by my house, no Republican door knockers. I live in the sixth district. It's um, it's time for a change with the way that the state party operates, and it needs to be run in a professional, organized way where we get more people involved in the the GOP, where we're actively trying to explain to people how less regulations, lower taxes, traditional values help lives, not just just assuming people are going to vote Republican or, or assuming people know what we're, 
we're there for. You know, you know that, that as you were going through that, the first thing that you said that jumped out at me, well, a bunch of things, but one of the things that was interesting is when you were talking about 2 million voters against 3,000 participants, that's a big, big gap. And, and obviously some of the things you mentioned uh, is the reason. Your history and the, some of the work that you do tells me that you love grassroots, which I think both parties have lost sight of in a big way. I, you know, for example, I think that the Democratic Party just went through that with the Bernie Sanders grassroots side of things, for example, where grassroots seems to be less meaningful to establish parties. What's your take on that? I I think that that's ac- that's that's oftentimes accurate, and I think that that's what the problem is. I mean, you look at the last presidential election, and you see. I mean, you mentioned Sanders on the Republican side. Donald Trump ran on Donald Trump ran on the idea that that the people, the voters, matter. That they are the point of politics. The idea that instead of talking a lot about just repeating the, the same general, well, we don't like the Democrats, vote Republican, we're better for the economy. Donald Trump talked about, hey, we need, we will make jobs. Hey, we will represent you. We are going to drain the swamp of this sort of self-interested Washington political industry in order to serve you. Like he ran on the very direct idea of serving the people and making sure the government does that. And that's ultimately when it comes to grassroots, that that's what it is. I mean, people are involved in politics because they want to see good Republican principles enacted in the law. And the reason why, and in most cases, and there's nothing wrong with this is because people want to see policies enacted that help their lives. Republican right. Republican concepts are good for our lives, like they are. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be involved in, in politics. We know they're the truth. And frankly, the political industry, it, which is the establishment, the opposite of the grassroots, oftentimes goes the other direction. They go and they say, well, well all of you people, if, if you would just listen to us, society would be better. But we've done that. For years, and we had eight years of Obama because of it. We've had economic downturns because of it. We've had this sort of idea that the federal government is the savior for all of our problems. That permeated our society because of it. And that's what what ultimately is the the problem, is that that those type of people, that paid political industry, undercuts – undercuts representing the people and it created anger which which has has led to a desire to to really have a government that serves the people well you know it's obvious just by the numbers alone and 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 i take what you say and i can address some of the things in a minute but the numbers alone that you talked about is is, is, uh, there's an obvious disconnect between you know if that many people would show up on a on a quick notice candidate who, as you described, is running on a more grassroots type of message, and yet they won't participate statewide even to that number. You know, there, there's obviously a big disconnect into whether or not the state GOP can impact people's lives. And, you know, Georgia is an interesting animal. You, you, cannot, you cannot put things on the ballot for example, within the state, just talking about state politics for a minute, and, and everything that has to be done mm-hmm. through the legislative process. You know, a lot of other states can have ballot initiatives, most of the other 
actually. Uh, but everything has to be done through the legislative process. So, so it's important for the relationship of people and, and legislative to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for to to be enhanced, to be connected better. I mean, whatever the word I, I'm not coming up with, but you know where I'm going mm-hmm. with this. It, there has to be there has to be Accessible. a connection made, no matter which party it is. It has to be a connection made. I mean, everybody has their ideological. You know, I mean, like as I said, as you heard me say, I'm anti-party. So you, you know, my approach to you is okay. Convince me to be a Republican. That's what I, you know, that's that's the way to do this. I mean, convince me to be a Republican. How are you going to impact my life? There's got to be that connection. And for 3,000 people participating, I that, that would be a concern as well. So, are you saying? Well, what are you saying? Why? Why is it where it is? I mean, I know what you want to change. Do you feel that it was too establishment? Do you have a scenario there as to what's going on or is it just a disconnect well i mean it, it it's i think it's a historical culture that needs to be shifted i mean generally speaking in the in the past and before a lot of the recent campaign finance law changes the way that it it worked was that the parties had a substantial amount of money flowing in and the point was that they were just there and ready to get people elected in the general election with, with tens of millions of dollars, volunteers, the political industry was there to help put out mail and, and hire people and, and make it happen. Well, a lot of that money has gone elsewhere. Now it goes to PACs or to candidates directly. Because to your point, I mean, you state that you're, you're anti-party, and I think that a lot of it comes down to the idea that, well, well, now people are like, oh, well, I might be unhappy with what the Washington Republicans are doing, but I like Donald Trump. Or I like gun rights. So the money and the attention starts going to gun rights groups and PACs or to a specific candidate. And I think that the party has, has not realized on the statewide level that they need to take a leadership role, and that's what we will do, is the idea that, that we need to take that leadership role of saying, look, as a state party, we need to be providing a new message not regarding principle, but regarding we need to tell people how to get involved. We need to be the standard bearer and putting out the message on the idea of why lower taxes, less onerous regulations, um, pro-life, all those ideas, how those are helpful to life and society. Like we need to be putting out that message all year round, not just going during the general election and replicating what the candidates and the PACs are doing. Because, one, no one, most voters aren't going to care about being involved in the party at that point. And, two, the, it's redundant, so it, it, it's not going to, to work. It's not something that, that people will be inspired by and be tied into because they already, a lot of, a lot of the time, agree with, with you and don't see themselves as part of a party, even though their principles align with a party and most of the time with the Republican party, but they don't, a lot of times they don't, don't agree with it because they see the politicians not enacting good policy in their opinion. Well, yeah, there's no doubt that that's a lot of, like for me personally, I think I start with, I start with corruption with the parties and that's, and, and a lot of this mm-hmm. has to do with how money moves and things like that. I always start there uh, and I, I, I just can't get around it. It's, it's in so many different ways. Some parties are less at it than not. I've, I've given up on the process of less than two evils, but that, that's me personally. But the, the one of the things that I have personally witnessed 
in Georgia. I was invo- actually I was involved in the in the last election as well as a staff member for uh, for somebody who was running for Congress uh, in the Republican Party. So mm-hmm. I, I I'm not you know I'm I'm a, I want to go into a voting booth. This is just to give you an idea where I come from. I want to go into a voting booth and I want to see the names of the people that I want to elect and I don't want to see a letter next to their name. For me, it means that. I would have to work harder to understand what the individual's about instead of going with some party platform. But, and, but this, is, this is me, so I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, what, what I want to say about what your platform is, for example, is holding politicians to the things that they run for. So you mentioned District 6. So I, I live in District 11. So we have the, the, you know, I'll give an example of something that was pretty much talked about within the constituency that I heard personally was the quote, un- the quote, three amigos, unquote, with the way Price, Loudermilk, and, and the other ones, uh, the way that they, when they ran, one of the things that they promised to do was not tow the establishment line and do everything by principle, and they were not going to vote for Boehner because they told the constituents who were happy with that position that they weren't going to vote for Boehner. And as soon as they got in, they voted for Boehner, which was an immediate, you know, went out immediately to, to the voting public that this had happened. And yet they reelected them. And I'm not just talking about against the Democrat. I'm talking about against other primary people that I would say was better. That was one of the races I was involved with was in district 11, the race I was involved with. Mm-hmm. So, that's what you're talking about is holding politicians to what they say they're going to do. Is that not correct? I mean, it, yes, exactly. And that's and and the thing is, it was a, to to come to the conclusion of of holding politicians accountable to the promises they made. I think that that what a lot of people forget is, and, and this is this is due to the lack of strength of the Republican Party and of political education and involvement, is that. When politicians – when they're in office, they, they, they may have made a promise. They may have said they were going to do something. But ultimately what it comes down to is if only three or four or 5,000 people are paying attention deeply and actively to Republican politics statewide, the, the question becomes do they, do they listen to the party? Because the party can make statements through resolutions at the state convention or through the state committee or, or even in county party meetings, they can come out with official statements saying the Republican Party believes X or we are opposed to Y or we think that, in your example, we think that, that our congressmen shouldn't vote for, for Boehner. Okay, they put out that statement. Well, the second step of the equation is why should they listen to that resolution? And even though it may be the official statement of the Republican Party, if it's passed by a county party with 30 active members or 50 active members. I think that should mean a great deal, but ultimately 50 members versus 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 voters that got that person, that person elected into office, they aren't necessarily going to listen, especially if those 30 or 40 people are, are good friends with the elected official. What it comes down to is the party needs to be providing an avenue for political involvement, like actual political empowerment in all ways, be it being in contact with the elected officials so that the elected officials know what the constituents want, having more people involved so those resolutions matter, knowing how to run for office if somebody is really annoyed at what an elected official did and wants to run against them, 
um, or simply being there to listen to and talk to and hear the successes of elected officials when they actually keep their promises. Because when that happens, it really creates a better political culture and better outcomes because elected officials, if they are surrounded by people and an active large group of people that are firmly committed Republicans that will help them get elected or reelected if they're doing a good job, they're more likely to listen and do what they said they're going to do. And if they don't, there's a greater ability for the citizenry to remove them from office. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and, and you're talking about something that is really important to me personally as a voter and from being involved in the process, like I said, I, I was on the staff of a candidate. And one of the things that we talked about that you're addressing generally speaking, but I'd like you to talk about a little bit more direct is when you have, whether or not, let's just say an example is, let, let's just say you have a, a candidate, not a candidate, uh, uh, an incumbent uh, that is a Republican in a district, whatever district, doesn't matter, and another person decides to challenge that incumbent uh, in the primary process. One of the things that I encountered, and we don't even have to get into whether or not the incumbent is you know, holding the values of the party, you know, whatever that is or is not. We're talking about election and fairness, in my opinion, here. One of the things we ran into is that the part, the establishment, and when I say establishment, I mean the party that exists, the way they're behaving, does not even care or help or treat evenly another candidate who's challenging an incumbent because they're backing the incumbent regardless of whether or not the incumbent has, has kept his word, or and, and I don't, you know, I'm not expecting a, a party to, to, to. Well, I would rather see a state party not side with anybody. Essentially, I want them to allow the process and let the constituents go. How do you feel about that? Well, no, I, I'm I'm completely with that. I think that that's exactly how the state party should should act, and that's by the rules right now. That's the way the party is required to act. They aren't allowed to take sides. But what's missing? And this is the thing that this is the problem that you and the people you're talking to are running into is that even though it's against the rules for the party to take sides, again, 4,000 people are most involved in the state party statewide. Then you have to look at the fact that a lot of those in leadership positions or those that have been around a while, they might be making money off of the incumbent. So even though they may not officially like be, be make, having the party take a statement, those people have a lot of political experience. They know a lot of people in the party. They have influence. So all they need to do is start a message or a, a narrative just behind the scenes among some of those, those people in the party of, oh, why is that guy challenging the incumbent? That, that, I mean, we have, a, we have a good Republican there. That this person is, is just trying to make problems or we might lose the seat or, or it's going to cause, cause waves that could hurt our party. What, why, like, why is that person running? And then they have influence in the party. They're making money off of, of the incumbent, but not everyone knows that. Like not everyone understands the behind-the-scenes fact that that person starting that rumor or message is making money off of it. So the, the word spreads saying, oh, yeah, that person shouldn't challenge him. The party appears to be opposed to the challenger, but it's all based on the fact that not enough people – actually are involved and knowledgeable in, in realizing that, that it's, um, it's sort of it, 
it's sort of self-interest that's causing causing right. that to happen because a lot of the people involved have their personal relationships that that lead them to support the incumbent, even though it's not an official party statement. It seems like, and you mentioned like the personal relationships. What's interesting there to me too that I saw in, in looking over the rules uh, over the last couple of years specifically, and and then being involved in the process of meeting and seeing delegates and stuff like that is that you have a delegate issue where you have it's 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 almost like it's an elite based delegate type thing where you have the same people being elected over and over again for example uh i don't know if you've re- looked at that or or noticed it or have an opinion on it. i'd like to get, I'd like to get your input on that yep they're the people that are involved like the delegates the people who are elected as delegates to the state convention out of the counties um, they're the people that are involved. I mean, in most counties, if you show up, if you show up to the precinct meetings to go to county, you'll be going to the state convention as a delegate or an alternate. And oftentimes the alternates get moved up because a lot of those delegates just end up not showing up, even though they're elected every year. And the the problem isn't necessarily the the delegates because the delegates are awesome. the The real issue is the fact that the the people who are are um, that that would otherwise be involved from the public, they don't know about the process. And most right. of the delegates, and I say most, meaning probably 90%, want more people to get involved. They would love to have an army of Republican activists and new people getting involved that they can show how to campaign, how to, how to push issues, Makes how to get them sense. involved, Makes how to get them out knocking yeah. doors. Yeah, but there's a 10%. There is a small percentage, though, that really sort of leads the 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 part of of the group though to say, oh yeah, well those those new people they they're dangerous. We don't really want them involved. And a lot of times they're the ones making money off of the current system or making money off of their influence. And that's that's part of the problem right now is there's a small group that that pushes a narrative that's ultimately destructive to the party. Right. Yeah, and and of course that loops right back around to the of having. Uh, not having a lot of people participating in the party. So it, it isn't so much as you point out, and, and, I'll, and I'll say it again just to emphasize it because my question came from that direction. So I, I, I want to make clear that that you're you're saying something a little different, that it's not so much that there's there's a, an elite or there's a group that are that are controlling it. It's that there's a lack of choices because there's not enough people participating because mm-hmm. of the disconnect of getting to the constituents. That's what you're saying. Is that correct? Um, yes, and, and I would say, though, there is a small sort of – and I don't know if they're considered elite because most of the ones that I, I meet are are are, ob- are not really yeah, that, that, that's special. My word. That's so my speak. word, everybody. Don't um, worry about yeah. yeah just, oh, yeah, no, but, but there, is, there is a group, though, that, that exercises influence, but they are the professional political class that make money off politics and don't really – they care far more about winning than they do about what causes – the, the winning like they would they would probably become communist if it actually served th- them getting their candidates elected which is uh mm. which is which is terrifying but that's a very small percentage that has a a very um large impact because but that of seems the small to be going on even nationally I mean, that, that's, a, that's a problem that you're describing that is obviously going on in multiple parties it's, it, that's certainly not uh, exclusive mm-hmm. to one party or another, and that seems to be going on a lot. Is that we we are forced to deal with, you know, and at least this is the wrong word, but we're forced to 
deal with, I don't know what you call controllers, people who are professionals, as you mentioned, and they come in there and they have an agenda with on money. They're not caring about what's either best for society or best for constituents. You know, you know, for me, as a liberty guy, it's all about choice. You know, it, 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 so what if, this, if these people want this choice and these people want this choice? You know, I mean, you, you get to win, and then we have our checks and balances in our republic if people would just take the Constitution out for a spin. That would pretty much solve a lot of this stuff. But they, they mm-hmm. we, we, we're getting controlled by a select few people on the basis of money, and it, and it is all the parties it's happening to. And, and you know, how, how do you how do you want to combat that particular problem within the party structure if you're leading the party in Georgia? Well, well, ultimately, the party needs to become, and I think this could be replicated around the country after it works here, is that the party needs to be a one-stop shop for political involvement, meaning that the people, like the, the, the general public needs to know the GOP exists, and the GOP needs to be the resource for getting people involved in politics, not just with the party, but maybe with the teen Republicans, with gun rights groups, with pro-life groups, with whatever the individual of the public wants to be involved, however they want to be involved, be it talking to the elected official, running against the elected official, going to events where elected officials are, getting information about what the party stands for, what policies our elected officials are passing, like being a resource to just sort of get the information out and combat both the media narrative and the very self-interested narrative of those who are, are just after money. Because one quick example of how, how I think what you're saying is, is absolutely right is that one thing that, that happens in Georgia a lot is you have people pushing, and it's happened recently with, I guess, the casino gambling issue, which multiple Republican organizations in the state have taken a clear stance against. The, the way that it's being pushed is by those that are being paid to lobby for it is that, that, oh, well, we want to go and get people um, – we want to give people the choice on a referendum on the ballot. We aren't trying to, to push gambling. We're just trying to, to give people the choice by putting on the referendum ballot, which, which sounds all nice and good. But if you think back, think about T-SPLOS. That was something else that was put on the ballot mm, for people to make a choice sure. on. If you think about why these moneyed interests wanted on the ballot – it's because right, like they have the money to put out an ad campaign to get people to vote for something in an in a off election, one that, that's expected to be low turnout. But what about right. the people who, are, who, for example, don't want a tax increase? They passed resolutions in the GOP opposed to T-SPLOS and now it's casino gambling. But ultimately, the question is, well, how do you actually combat that type of money? The only way to combat it is by having a lot of people involved politically that know what's going on and can be active to stop something from, like that from passing. Like Peace Plus failed because of a statewide coalition of activists, but that took a lot of work to form. And ideally, the GOP should have been able to tie people into that instantly, but that wasn't the structure that was there. A lot of people had to work very hard to create that coalition, and it only lasted through that issue. So ultimately, people need to remember that the money really – the only way to combat the money is by a lot of people being involved and active and understanding the system of what's going on. But, I mean, for example, with Teeth Flossed and, and the uh, casino gambling, it's very easy for people to just say, 
hey, yeah, we're giving people the choice. But in reality, it's, it's giving people with the money a lot of influence. It's not really giving the general public a choice because they don't even know what's going on. Right. And, and, and obviously, when you put a position resolution, however it's framed, within the party for a vote, if you only have 3,000 people, they would be easily influenced by, like you say, the people who are interested in making money off of politics as opposed to getting the voter turnout inside of the party to make a resolution that is, as you say, ideological and ideologically in tune with our platform. That's where you're going with that, correct? Um, it, to some extent, yes. I mean, but what I've noticed, and this is the thing that, that, that gives me a lot of hope and faith in the future, and, and I think that the party is so important, is that within the party, the, the resolutions oftentimes end up aligning very well with, with good government. And the resolutions are passed in that way because oftentimes the people involved in the party are very well educated and informed about stuff. Like they understand why tax increases are, are bad. They understand some of the, the negatives that could come from, from very select casinos getting the ability to, to operate in the state that are tied in with, with the government. Like they understand that history and that knowledge because they follow politics so well because the party, by being involved, you learn a lot of that. So a lot of times those moneyed interests that try to push an agenda or an issue quickly get, get shut down because there's such a small minority in the party. But again, right. those resolutions are typically being ignored by, um, by, the, by elected officials or even by party leadership. I mean, a year ago, nine resolutions at the state convention um, and – it even said they have to be published prominently on the state GOP website. As far as I know, they still aren't published there. And this was a year ago. I mean, it, it, th- that elite, That's the, the so-called That's elite important. group just ignores it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how are you supposed Absolutely. to educate your voting? How are you supposed to educate your voting constituency, your constituency, if you don't have the information out there to tell them what you're doing? That's basic. Yeah, that's, that's kind of – I don't I, – I, What's going on? <laughs> that's, that's what you're trying to change. I don't. Oh get no, that exactly. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. And and again, my you know, I my, when I think of parties, I just get the shivers. But but so so, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I do. I mean, you're you're telling you're you're basically telling me. I mean, as much as you're telling me reasons why I shouldn't be involved in party politics, you're also telling me that. Uh, you know, here, here's a validation for it. I mean, I really have, uh, uh, you know, the, the the disregard to the Constitution. Even, you know, and, and looking at it from the Republican side, you know, for example, you know, they tout the Constitution a lot until it's not. I think both parties do it actually. They, they both major parties that they, you know, they tout the Constitution until it's not convenient to what they're doing. And, and we watch legislation legislating against our constitutional protections all the time. It just amazes me. And, and both parties do it when they're in. When they're in power, we've seen it. You know, the the NDAA is a great example. Um, I want to get into some platform things with you as well, but but before before we get, I want to stay in, inside the nuts and bolts some more for a while. So what? So what's the process? Tell educate since we're about educating constituents. Educate your party people and anybody else on what is going on, what this election is about, how it's done. You know what the processes are, so people can learn and, and be involved. 
All right. Well, it, I guess it's it's best to sort of start at the top is that the the RNC, the National Republican um, Committee, they are they are made up of the three representatives from every state and territory in the United States that that are represent each state. There's a committee man and a committee woman from each state, a national committee man and committee woman, which are elected every presidential year. And then there's a state chairman from each state, which is elected this year at the state convention and every two years in Georgia. Like it's, you can serve a maximum of three terms that is elected through all the delegates that go to the state convention. You become a delegate to the state convention by showing up to your county meetings that occurred in February and March of this year. They're open to the public as long as you, you agree with Republican principles, like you agree with the Republican platform and you, you affirm you're a Republican. So pretty much those were open to the public back in, in February and March. You show up and you elect precinct leadership and county leadership and who is going to the state convention. Um, and right. that's that's how the party is essentially run. I mean, there's a district convention as well, but ultimately it's the same, same process. You go to County, County sends you to, to state, and they also could, could send you to district. And at those conventions, they elect party leadership, the people who run each level of the Republican party. There are levels of the party starting at your precinct level. And then there's a County organization, a district organization, and a state organization. And all of those have separate leaderships. And they're all supposed to be – ultimately, they're supposed to be grassroots. They're supposed to be represented by the people. They are unpaid positions. All of these positions are unpaid, um, and including the state chairmanship. And they're all unpaid – in Georgia, they're all unpaid. And they're, um, they're there to, to advance the Republican Party. That's what the, the goal is, to get Republicans elected, to get our principles uh, enacted into law. And everyone should be involved and be going out to those meetings and be involved in their county parties if they – not only if they think they're Republican, but if they agree with, with what the Republican Party says it stands for. Because from a personal story early last year in early 2016, I was going around to volunteer meetings for various primary candidates, including a very active volunteer meeting for, for Donald Trump in Cobb County, and – there were 70 to 120 people there, and they were they, they had no idea how to be involved. And when I first started mm-hmm. talking to them, I said, by all of you being here, I'm guessing you weren't, aren't very happy with the Republican Party. And a lot of them started, like, clapping and hollering and, because they weren't. And then when I explained to them what the Republican platform was, they were like, oh, yeah, we all agree with that. Like, everybody was in favor of that. It's just that they weren't happy with what had been going on. Um, by the Republican brand, like the way they had seen it. Sure, 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 sure. Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, educated, uneducated voters, it doesn't matter, but when, when it's not reaching them and, and they're not understanding who the what's and where's, as you mentioned, uh, that, that is very disillusional. You can see. So let, me, so let me ask you this. So in our tech, in today's world, as, as no doubt you know, uh, we are at a high technology level and we have, we basically, I don't even know if this is a real word, but depersonalize ourselves from our neighbors, from our friends, from our communities. So let's just look at the Georgia Republican Party as a community, which is what it is. So do you think that possibly putting technology into the mix where you're broadcasting things 
more by video to people that they can watch on their home computer would help? Are you looking at those directions? Is it relevant? Is there rules against it for it? What's your take on that? Um, on the idea of, of technology and getting more people involved, I mean, I think that that's Yeah, yeah, um, you know, like, I mean, for example, key. if you're doing we, virtual town halls, things like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those are the type of things that, that need to be happening because ultimately the, the, what Donald Trump's election and the entire cycle showed, I mean, it, it showed a lot of things, but some of the major ones are that that the media – is not going to educate people on on how to be involved in the political process, uh, what's go, what's truly going on, and what what's good government. Um, the second thing that it showed is that the people want to have be empowered in government. They want a government and a political system that is benefiting them and supporting them and educating them, not a political system that is focused on a, a elite political quote-unquote industry where politics is a job and they sort of manipulate the population into going their way. I mean, the media and that political industry did everything it could to say Donald Trump was unelectable, he can't win, he won't win, look at these poll numbers, he's obviously not winning, um, just just give up like the country doesn't like what Donald Trump's selling. Well, that's what they said, but that wasn't the truth, and it was shown by the election result where Donald Trump won substantially regarding electoral votes around the country. And, and that just shows that disconnect, and we need to be doing everything we can through digital marketing, through, through traditional marketing, through just going – out doing events in communities, going door to door, sending emails, doing things on social media to get people to know that if they want to make an impact in politics, they need to be involved in the Republican Party because we will help them do that as long as they're doing it toward, toward the ideas of, of individual rights, limited government, traditional values, pro, like those, those concepts. Like as long as they are in alignment there, the Republican Party is the way to to make it happen, and we need to do everything we can to get more people tied in to our infrastructure in Georgia. Interesting. So, so and that's great stuff, and and I hope that every party moves in that direction. I I, I love to feel optimistic about it. it you know, we'll we'll have to have further discussions. But putting that aside for the moment, let, let me give you some examples of some things <laughs> that that I yeah, that I've seen personally uh, or been told about personally, and I, and I want to get your comments on them. Uh, the first thing is when Congress is in when Congress is in session nationally, when when they're in Washington. And, and obviously, I'm saying Congress, so this is this is at all participants. Uh, you know, I, I try not to direct things uh, at parties. More uh, ideologically, I direct them more at people. But the Congress is in session. Let let's, and of course, we all know that Congress doesn't work that many. Doesn't certainly don't work as many days of the year as you and I do. But but when they're in session, it has been revealed that let's say they work a 60-hour work week when they're in Washington. At least half of that time, if not more, is not spent on doing the people's work. It is spent on fundraising. Now, I have a me personally, you know, I'm not, I'm not attached to a party, but I don't see why this would change if I was. 
I have a real fundamental problem with that. Uh, I understand the dynamics of it, but it doesn't does not penetrate my problem with it at all. If these people are being paid the amount of money that they are, that they've dedicated their life to civil service allegedly, and yet they spend all this time, and you may have may or may not have heard about the wall of shame that they have in these congressional offices showing who the best fundraisers are, which is how they advance to power. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been the top Democratic. Paul Ryan is now John Boehner was. I mean, essentially, Boehner and Pelosi were the top fundraisers in the in the House, and that's where they wound up being the leadership. I mean, at least that's the perception. I have a problem with that as a voter. What's your take on it, and what, how do you see the party discussing that and, and advancing a position on that, whether you agree or not? What's your position on that? I mean, my my personal position on that is that we need to actually think about what the roles of the different um, different actors are in politics. I mean, right now, as you pointed out, elected officials, a lot of them, it's about fundraising. And the fundraising oftentimes helps determine committee assignments, relative amounts of power in various legislative bodies. And and ultimately, the reason why it does is because money – oftentimes right now helps lead to hiring staff and winning re-elections through putting out mail and other advertisements. The politicians who are raising a lot of money, I think that's great that they're raising it. I think it's great that they, they have the ability to potentially get re-elected, have influence. But I think that what it comes down to is that the role of the elected officials, since all that money is going there, people need to think about what the role of the party should be or needs to be. And the thing that's missing that the role of the party needs to be doing on the state level and helping the county parties do this is that we need to be out there letting people know why our platform and our principles are truly good for society. Because the elected officials, they're going to use a lot of that money when they're running for re-election. And when, when you have all that advertisement out there fighting back and forth, a lot of people tune out. The Republican Party needs to be providing the infrastructure and base to make sure that elected officials don't necessarily need all that money to get reelected because the population will naturally vote Republican. I mean, we need a brand much like Coca-Cola, like the idea being that when you vote Republican, you know what you're getting. When you buy a Coca-Cola, you know what you're getting. Like we need that type of situation where the Republican Party has made has helped make society know that when you vote Republican, this is what you're getting. And by doing that, I think that, that that is a substantially different role than what the elected officials are doing, but it directly helps them get reelected, and it reduces the, the influence and importance of individual politicians having bank accounts that, that are in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Like that, that isn't necessary if, when they run for reelection, they know that by being a Republican, they're a shoe in. So, so I'll, I'll do a follow-up question. Great answer. I, I'll put, do a follow-up question, two follow-up questions uh, uh, to mm-hmm. that. One is, is, in my view, one of the things that could be done to combat this, what I call a problem, because, you know, let's say Congress is in session 160 days a year. Uh, you know, well, there's another 200 days a year. And my number is not off that by that much, by the way, people. That, that's pretty close to what it is. So let's say there's the other 200 days of the year, which they are getting paid, but they're not in session. 
for me, that's when the fundraising should happen, is when they're not in session. They should be doing the work. I mean, we run around, for example, with, okay, we have the same, exa- the same exact example of what happened with the ACA and that rhetoric, well, we need to vote on it without reading it, that just happened with the AHCA. There was no time. There wasn't even a CBO done on it. Now, part of this problem is mm-hmm. that these elected officials are out fundraising instead of working. So my thing is, okay, so why doesn't the fundraising happen when they're not in session? That, to me, should be when it is happening. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that. It doesn't, you know, like, I'm not, I just like to know. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of it, a lot of it comes into, because I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that it would be better if, if people were doing their fundraising when they aren't supposed to be or should be or could be reading the bills and getting the work done. But part of the, the problem there is the same pro- um, problem I've heard or the same criticism I've heard um, regarding uh, just giving term limits to, to politicians is that mm. their staffs are oftentimes a lot of the problem, and that's what it, it really boils down to. I mean, the elected officials, a lot of times they're reliant on either either their staffs or lobbyists to make decisions on how to vote. And that's that's what I think has enabled the current system of of a lot of times of the, the huge focus on fundraising is that a lot of times the elected officials will follow, quote unquote, leadership in what they want because they don't want to get primaried or get punished for going against. Right. The or they follow uh, what their staff say. And that's a, and that's the, the one criticism I've heard of term limits before is the idea, well, hold on, just getting a politician out isn't going to fix anything. Because the staffs that have been there and have relationships and 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 money's flowing and there's relationships with within Washington of 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 these professional staffers, well, you take out one Republican politician, put in another one, well, they're going to keep the same staff, so you're going to get the same outcomes because you aren't that the staff isn't changing. So that that's one criticism I've heard where it's like, well, you also have to term limit the workers in D.C., and it probably goes along with what Trump said about draining the swamp, you have to, you have to look at the fact that, that there is an entrenched political class that, that really doesn't want to change. There's no doubt about that. And the other, the other follow-up I'll have to what you were saying, the word that popped up when you were talking about, you know, if you, when you're looking at the brand, so you know that if you have a candidate in front of you that is running, that this is what they are about because the party about, in my view, the way I observe that, is integrity of position. And integrity is not a word that, you, that I can mm-hmm. use around politics and be comfortable, but it would be nice if it could be. And, and I, I think that's what you're yes. talking about there. Elaborate on that a little bit. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to is that when, when a Republican – is running in the running for elected office, people should know what that means. And I know that and it, it's funny because when you say that it's, integrity is a word you, you can't use much around politics, um, but you would like to, I mean, that's exactly where I am. I mean, I think that, that, the, that we should be thinking bigger. We shouldn't just be sitting back and resigned to the idea that, oh, politics, that's a dirty business. People are going to lie. It's okay. I've heard that a lot in politics. I've heard people lie to each other, lie to their face, and then later say, oh, well, you know, it's just politics. It's all right, right? And I'm like, no, it's never okay to lie to someone's face. It doesn't matter if it's politics or – yeah, it doesn't matter if it's politics or anywhere else. And and that type of of change is what I I truly think needs to happen if we're going to – 
one, have a good society, and two, if, if, on, a, on a more selfish note, if we want Republicans to win elections, we're going to need to make politics a more welcoming, accessible place. And, uh, and I think that, that with politicians doing what they say they're going to do um, and integrity, that's exactly what we, we need. And I think by having more people involved in the Republican Party in the process who agree with our principles, you're going to have – a lot more eyes on the potential elected officials, and it, it will come down to integrity instead of just money. Because that's a lot of times what you hear in primary races is all these political industry types saying, yeah, but this candidate raised the most money. They're the one we need to be voting for because they raised the most money. And it's even like, well, no, just because they raised money the doesn't make them the that. best candidate. Yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah, even the press will focus on the money. To the press. Yeah. And who talks to the press the most? The political industry types that, that are running these yeah. campaigns that want the money, yep. and they're the ones with the connections to the media. And that's the, yep. that's the thing that's so disturbing is that it shouldn't be about who, who managed to, to like make the most promises and potentially lie to the most people to get all the, the money. It should be about who's actually going to stand for our principles. And the way to make sure that those are the people – getting into office and not just whoever can, can come up with the most money is by really having a strong, true Republican infrastructure that is made up of the public that believe in our principles that aren't in it to make money. I mean, I personally know tons of business lawyers, not lawyers, but tons of business owners, tons of attorneys that, that all are Republican, don't know how to be involved. If they were involved, they would definitely want the same thing you and I do, but they, they just don't know about the process, don't know how to be involved, and the ones that are sometimes get disgusted by it and leave. And I think sure. by changing that, we can really have a strong impact. We can, we can have people who, I mean, they'll have the money and they have the principles, but they aren't relying on the political industry for their paycheck. And that's where we can really shift the system if we can ex- get people involved in the process. Yeah, that, that's great stuff, and and the integrity part of it is so big in our society. Period. You know, the, the, the old graphic you probably have seen where, you know, I can go to jail for lying to the government, but when politicians do it, it's just politics. I, I mean, that that resonates <laughs> with people all the time. And you know, and, and if anybody who has any kind of, you know, I mean, I'm 54 years old. I've been watching this, you know, since I was born, and and you know, it's just ridiculous uh, that what we see and what we have seen. In, in what I have observed in the political process from every possible direction just makes me sick to my stomach when it comes to the word integrity, uh, unfortunately. So let, let me let me change let me change directions for a minute. Okay, so we know we know the the ideological rhetoric that's out there on the parties. We, I mean, every, this is pretty much common. One, one of the things that is talked about relative to the Republican Party. It, it, this is a general thing because it's a personal story I want to tell you that, that why I'm asking the questions I am. Inclusiveness. So I was at the I was at Delonica at the university for the the Republican Senate senatorial primary debate a couple of years ago in the midterms. Uh, there was uh, Jack Kingston, Phil Gregory, Paul Brown, Derek Grayson, uh, Purdue, uh, the young lady's name I can't remember at the moment, and that's really bad of me. But so anyway, I believe there was nine candidates, uh, seven, 
so I, I'm covering it. And, and and again, my and you know, I'm not a greatly, you know, I'm not Wolf Blitzer. You know, nobody knows that I really walk around and 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 I don't care about the politics or the ideology. I care about the facts and covering something. But anyway, so I covered this and and along with some other uh, independent journalists that were there with me, and we filmed it and everything. And and afterwards. I had an agenda as far as the questions I wanted to have asked. Uh, one of the organizations that I work with is People Against the NDAA. I think the, the indefinite detention provision of the NDAA is one of the worst laws that's ever been written in this country's history, especially when it comes to being unconstitutional. So, what, so I had one question. I wanted to know from the, from the candidates that were involved is if they were not already elected officials, what would their position be on that question? And if they were elected officials and I knew what their vote was, why did they vote that way? So the three people that were relative to that was Paul Brown, who talked to me happily, uh, to his credit, and, and Phil Gringery and Jack Kingston. So the first person I started with was Jack Kingston. Now, I'm not white. I'm not, I'm just, I, I guess, I guess when you, to look at me, I guess, I don't know, off-white, I have brown to me, tan, 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 good enough. So, you know, whatever ethnicity I am is, is certainly, I'm not the, uh, uh, you know, a, pure white lily person, whatever that means. I don't even like talking about this. But I go up to Jack Kingston, and I go to ask the question, and I have my credentials on me, and, and I handed him my card, which was from, from the people against the NDAA, because that's what I was asking the question for. And he literally ran from me, and no. his comment was, and we have this on film, and his comment was, well, you could be a George Soros plant. And I and my jaw hit the ground. And, and, and I, I'm like, first of all, so what if I was? I'm a Georgia voter. Who cares wh- where I might be from? I'm asking you, all I, I want to know is why did you vote in favor of the indefinite intention of the NDA? Just tell me. That's all that, just tell me your answer, and who cares yeah. who I am? I could, it doesn't matter. And that's what he did. And, and so I offer that as an example because I know part of it was on the basis of how I looked. It, it was clear, clear to me that that was going on. You had to be there. So, you know, so I ask you, because this is the this is an elected official, obviously. Pinkston was a member of Congress at the time, running for senator. How do you get rid of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just bad stuff, right there. How, how do you how do you get rid of it? I mean, is it a teaching process with the politicians? I mean, is it just uh, you know? I mean, let's be real here. How do we get how, how does a, you as a party chairman, if elected, get past all that crap? <laughs> Well, I mean, and here's the thing: is that there are pl- there are plenty of opportunities, and that's one of the things about the party that's so so important. I mean, legally, and just so just in case any of your listeners don't know this, but legally, the way that people get on the ballot is through the party. Like the party, depending on the state, they determine if someone gets on the ballot, how they get on the ballot as a Republican, and pretty much control that that brand. So all all politicians, to some extent, that that run in partisan races. They're they're tied to the party one way or the other, and when it comes to, for example, answering questions from constituents, most of the politicians are very accessible and willing to come to some Republican meetings, depending on which which county or which meeting or what. But generally speaking, they will be accessible to the party. Elected officials will listen to the party, come to events, and answer questions. Um, and that's where I think that that comes in is that we need to make it clear how people can have conversations with elected officials. Now, the, the, the scenario you described is one which, which shouldn't happen, period. I mean, I, I personally believe and I think that politicians should answer questions from the public and especially not make make assumptions based on how someone looks 
as to what, what party they belong in, because that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you treat a group yeah. of people like they shouldn't be Republicans, yeah. then they aren't going to be Republicans. And a lot of times, talking to a number of people who, who don't have uh, uh, extremely white, reflective skin like I do, um, they are, uh, the, a lot of people feel that way very specifically. They feel as if, well, I'm just supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be a Republican. That's just how they feel, not even necessarily because of, of principles, just that's when they, when they came to the country, that's how they, they felt that, that the system was set up. And we definitely don't want people feeling that way, especially since a lot of people, and I'd probably even say most people who are, are non-white actually agree with our principles. They just don't, don't know it. But, but a lot of times I think the stereotypes have undercut that and the fact that what happened to you was probably on video. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to mention very it briefly. It is on video. Is that, Not probably. That <laughs> we the, filmed it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's it. And that's the thing is that these days, like, the, the, and that's one of the things I think's changed over the past twenty, thirty, forty years, is the fact that that now everything can be recorded and put online, and people know this happens, which I think has led to a lot of the dissatisfaction and anger towards politics. I mean, a lot of the things I'm describing probably have happened for for decades, but it's only now coming to light because there's so, so much more attention to what's going on in politics. Yeah, no doubt. And, and of course, you know, my, my, I was more focused on the fact that he wouldn't answer the question and call me a source plant than I was worrying about the, the ethnic tones. But that's just me. I mean, that easily could have been something that was – I mean, if I was – let's mm-hmm. say I was a political operative, that certainly would have been available for me to use in the exact way that you just described. You know, I'm just not I, – I just have no yeah. that type of agenda. I just wanted to know why he voted for that law, you know. And, and I did, the whole thing was really strange and unfortunate, and, and it just showed to me – in a lot of ways, where we go off by some people. Now, obviously, there were other people there that didn't behave that way. But, I mean, geez, Jack, I'm just saying. I'm not a Jack fan. But, anyway, so, <laughs> all right, so, so next question. One of, one of my personal biggest advocacies in the world is I am anti-prohibition, big time, cannabis prohibition. Now, there is a huge movement in Georgia, since we're talking about Georgia as much as anything, including with a large constituency of Republican, registered Republican voters, including the, the ex-executive director of Peachtree Normal, for example, and always been a, re- a registered Republican. And <laughs> prohibition, in my view, uh, and in the view of anybody who's anti-prohibition, has, has impacted particularly minorities and the poor in, in such a disproportionate way, first of all, in an unfair way. And then the information about cannabis, and, and I will say more so I have found personally in the Republican parties as opposed to the Democratic Party, for whatever reason, it doesn't really matter to me. It's not a, I'm not talking ideology here. It's just the way the information has been processed, I'm getting it, is that, first of all, there's a lot of wrong information out there still to this day. I mean, nobody's ever died from cannabis in the history of the world. Can't say that about alcohol, can't say that about tobacco, or the, you know, et cetera, and, and many, uh, all kinds of prescription drugs, et cetera. I mean, it's just, it's a fact. If anybody wants to dispute it, please call me, and we can have that argument off the show because it's absurd uh, for, for anybody to think that cannabis is dangerous. But the prohibition side of it and what the government has done to the communities in Georgia, just, just forget about anywhere else, just in Georgia, it's massive, and we even have, you, from the Republican standpoint, you even have a member of the state uh, elected, openly defying prohibition, 
in order to help people in need of medical cannabis to have access to it. From a platform standpoint, where do you see this going in the Republican Party in the state of Georgia? Well, from a platform standpoint, I know that um, I think it was I think it was last year. I mean, I, I apologize if I'm incorrect, but I, I don't have all the, the information right off the top of my head. But I think it was last year that um, that uh, Dale Jackson, one of the district chairs in the state GOP, um, pushed and had passed at the state convention a resolution that was in favor of the cannabis oil being able to be used. Um, and, and he pushed that. It was sort of his issue. He'd been pushing it at the Capitol, too, for a number of years, um, doing, you know, unpaid citizen lobbying in favor of it. And, I, and it passed at the state convention, if I remember correctly. It, it passed, I think, somewhat, um, somewhat overwhelmingly. And I think that that's – I mean, that's, that's what's happened historically. Is that, and, and, I mean, frankly, I, when I first um, started getting involved in the party back in 2009, I never would have imagined – Seeing that pass, but it, it did end up passing um, in the internal party process, and I think it was because of the um, information and education that was getting out through the, res- the the debate process over the resolution and the fact that those issues were brought up. Um, and I think that that as a matter of platform, it's really it, it's going to be dependent on who's involved in the GOP and, and how, and also on the messaging that goes out regarding it. I mean. Personally, I'm opposed to drug use. At the same time, I'm opposed to, to locking people up um, for for things that even if I may think it's, it's, it's harmful, I mean, ultimately, it's about if something's harming people, it's about getting them help, not about, I mean, getting them into a criminal system. And, and I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but I'm an, I'm an attorney. I don't do criminal law, but I do do um, personal injury and civil rights law. And ultimately, it, it really is um, – Putting people who may have an addiction to a drug into a criminal justice system, and then we pay twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year to have them incarcerated, um, doesn't seem very fiscally conservative. And it, it really, uh, and I don't know how much you want to go into over it, but it really funds a a pro, like a, a criminal justice industry and private companies, probation companies and such, which um, have connections to the government. Like it, it, a lot of times it comes down to a lot of money being spent. And as you pointed out, it, it ultimately ends up breaking up families and, and sometimes hurting people. So, uh, I think that the more that, that we educate people about some of those issues, the, the better that, that we can reach out and, and get more people involved in our party. I mean, it's, uh, uh I think a lot of it's education. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and just so everybody understands, uh, the, the, Alex didn't get any questions from me in advance. So, uh, you know, he, he did not have any, you know, to know exactly what I was going to answer. Just so everybody knows, I mean, there's no reason to do that. We're having a conversation. So I don't want you to think that he's being, you know, evasive. He just didn't know I was going to ask these questions, and they are what they are. So, it, it, so anyway, so a couple of comments there. Number one, I thought what, what was interesting, because you mentioned the private prison industry, I, I am advocate. I, I am I am vehemently opposed to private prisons. I'm not opposed to free market. I am opposed to private prisons, private probation, because mm-hmm. if you're going, to, I mean, it's the, people don't pay to go to prison. You know, it's 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 different if you're paying in the free market system. I mean, the, it's your taxpayers' dollars that are doing this, and they're and they're yeah. trying to the oversight that's involved is actually being fought 
you know, and I'm sorry, but if my tax dollars mm-hmm. are paying for something, I want to be able to look and see how they're doing, and I want to make sure that everything that's going on inside is constitutional. And and I don't want any judges or any legislators or any executive members telling me I can't do that for any reason because it's a private prison. It's absurd argument to me when it comes to constitutional protections. And 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 Georgia has a has a massive private prison and private probation uh, industry, and they are under uh, they are under assault because of the. I mean, I know personally from talking to attorneys throughout the country and, and, and researching issues. I did, a, I did a show on one last year that, down in south, southern Georgia. The amount of, of constitutional violations that are coming from these private provision companies, in the name of, it's all about profit because that's what they're for. I, I get it, you know, free market philosophy. But it's all about profit, and they're, and they're destroying people's lives. And, and the other comment I'll make as well, and, and you know, we'll get to know each other, but certainly maybe you'll recruit me into the Republican Party. One will one never know. But I, I offer this on the mass incarceration thing. I, I say this a lot to people. Recently on Sesame Street, they created a new Muppet that is, the character is the child of someone who's incarcerated. And and the reason that they did that is because it has become such an example of our society. And I thought that was a really, really prominent thing for, some, for a show like that to do because it is hard, particularly in the cannabis situation, and this is why I focus on the cannabis because I don't think cannabis some kind of a, a drug that well I know it's not a addictable addicted and I and I know it has additional value or a great amount of it along with other values but be, be that as it may everybody in the state either has a neighbor a relative a, a a friend that has been impacted by prohibition in some way shape or form or by the the war on drugs which has been absurd and. And I, I, the fact that, you know, a, an educational organization would do that just shows, and, and, and I totally agree with it in the sense that this is really happening. I mean, your kids know somebody who has a family member who's in jail. It's just the way our society works. We have so many people in, incarcerated these days. So I just wanted to add that to this discussion, and, and, I, and you don't have to comment on it. Please do if you'd like to. But I just as to how important this is to anybody, any constituents, any voters, please look into this education, as you say. And if you have any comment on that part of it, please jump right in. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately I think that, that looking at – and I mean, as an attorney, I know that the collateral consequences of various drug convictions make it so that you can't even get – student loans to attend college like those are the type of impacts that that occur in the the um in the the current current system and i think that that ultimately um like there needs to be a robust discussion over over what we are trying to accomplish and i think that the way to to ultimately have that discussion is and because as, as party chairman, my role isn't to to push any specific policies or or platform changes or anything, but to do what those people who are active in the party want. I'm supposed to be their yes, advocate absolutely. when resolutions absolutely. are passed and their and their their ideas are pushed forward, and I need to make sure that there is a 
fair and, and open debate within the party. And ultimately, the way that those type of robust discussions happen is by more people being involved. I mean, that's the thing is there 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 may be lots of, of Republicans out there. There may be none who who agree with that idea. But the point is that they need to be involved in order to to have their their voice heard and allow that discussion to happen. Because, again, Dale Jackson pushing the cannabis oil um, resolution, which was ultimately passed by the state convention. I mean, he 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 had to work for years to make that happen. And uh, right. it, it I mean, it but it then it did happen. So it, it's a matter of people being involved to, to talk about it. You know, it's interesting that you say that, and I want to highlight something that was really important, that because my questions to Alex, everybody knows, is, is more of a you know, philosophy thing, so Republican voters out there will know, or people who aren't Republicans who may want to gravitate towards this, uh, what is that. but ultimately what he said right there is really important. It's not his job to create policy. It's his job to create an environment that brings policy to it on the basis of what the constituents want. That's really important, and that's something I believe, and you probably would agree with this on the basis of our discussion, that hasn't been happening enough of, obviously just by the numbers, but even if you take the numbers aside, the, the, the so-called leadership hasn't been an advocate for what the voters want. Would you, you, you know, that has to be a dynamic here, and that's something that you're obviously pushing for. Would you agree? Um, I mean, absolutely. I mean, a lot of times the leadership has, has, I mean, if you look at the FEC disclosures for the way that the party has been run, because the party chairman oftentimes hires people to work for the state party. That's how it's worked in the past. Well, if you look at the recent FEC disclosures, you'll see a lot of hires of people who who've supported the current leadership. Um, right now with the current chairman's race, there's one of my opponents that actually a, a, owns a lobbying firm and is running to be chairman of the party. I mean, the, 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 in the end, a lot of the people who are involved in this system are, are really like, I mean, they may or may not agree with what I said a minute ago about the fact that it's my job to create a good environment and advocate for what the people want. But if you look at the conflicts of interest that oftentimes exist within the party, I mean, it's, it's hard to find people who aren't making money off politics who who want to, to and are willing to take on the responsibility of, of trying to make it a fair, inclusive system to get more people involved in fighting for for better government, better Republican government. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's really important, and, it, and it's a shame to hear the, these. I mean, I again, you know, I'm the anti-party guy, so when I hear somebody's running for chairmanship but has a lobbying firm, I just want to run so far away from that situation it's just there's nothing for me nothing good is going to become of it i don't i don't care i mean i just don't care about what you stand for if it's going to be corrupted by money i mean how could it back to integrity again how, how does that matter I, I just don't know so my, my last question to you relative to party direction is here we are experience lately particularly and I do I do a lot of a lot of nonprofit advocacy in in a, in a few organizations. One of them, for example, the Coffee Party, which is the network that we're on. Just so everybody knows who's listening, Coffee mm. Party is not the re, the reverse of the Tea Party ideologically. It has nothing to do with political advocacy. We are about inclusive, civil, transparent government for everyone. Just to make that clear. So anyway, so the Coffee Party. So so. One of the things that I've noticed in, in my work in D.C. particularly 
is that we are divisive at a level that I have never seen before. Uh, It is hard to have a conversation that isn't in tune with somebody else's ideology or their tunnel vision. I think tunnel vision is the most accurate way to describe it. I was at an event Friday night, and and I saw a lot of tunnel vision at it, for example. Uh, How do you... What do you think is the best way to combat that? Because you even have it inside parties, I've seen. Uh, you know, obviously, the last election showed that. Well, how do you combat divisiveness and get people at the table, even when they're thinking differently, to discuss what they have in common, I guess? What's your, what's your plan? How do you see the best way to do that? Well, I think the divisiveness a lot of times is actually being manufactured by, by both the media and that political industry in order to win elections. I mean, one of the I totally things I, I received a politics I degree. Yeah, I mean, I received a po- I've studied politics at Oglethorpe University for my undergraduate, and one of the things that, that was key is the idea that that that's how that, like people are taught historically to win elections. Is you try to create divisiveness on issues in order to get people to vote on your side, um, and and ultimately the divisiveness though it, it, it's 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 sort of skin deep. I mean, for example. Look at the, at the whole debate over Planned Parenthood funding, all right? I'm opposed to Planned Parenthood fund, um, federal money or government money going to Planned Parenthood. I'm also completely in favor of women's health. I love my mother. I love my wife. I, I think that, that all women should be, be healthy. Um, but, I mean, just think about it. If you really care about women's health, then you would just go and create an organization that doesn't provide abortions, that provide women's health services, and then have funding for it. But, you know, I mean, like, it, it's, it's, a simple, it's a simple equation, but it's not really about women's health for the left. It's about they want to be able to, to have federal money going towards abortions. That's what it comes down to, and that's something most of the c- country wouldn't be in favor of. Yet that's what's pushed in order to create divisiveness, that type of rhetoric. And the real solution to that type of divisiveness is the idea that we need more people involved in the party in the party system and also we need more like actual education information and a message that isn't designed to be necessarily divisive i mean if we're spending all year talking about how lower like less regulations or lower taxes will get people jobs and we talk about that all year instead of just during an election then when when the democrats come out and start screaming or or even other political operatives on the republican side and start getting into some fight over how republicans kill jobs or don't kill jobs or hurt the economy or don't care about the environment we'll already have a a message out there that people know that's resilient that they understand about about how well no the republican party isn't trying to hurt anyone the republican party is trying to create jobs by by lowering taxes or by loosening regulations or by or we're trying to save lives by by not wanting the money to go to killing lives but instead to actually keeping keeping people healthy i mean there are ways we can do it it's just that right now there isn't really quote unquote an adult in the room that actually is is putting out a consistent, coherent message um, that that can bring people over to 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 our side. I mean, I think Donald Trump. I mean, it, it's funny. I think Donald Trump did the best best job at growing Republican ranks in years, and he was probably the most divisive. But his messaging was actually very much a servant's message of helping the people. I mean, that's that's where I think divisiveness. It, it, it's really invented. 
because, I mean, Trump got more people on board by just wanting to serve the people. You know, I, I would be remiss if I don't make a comment because my listeners will be screaming at me, but I, but all evidence that I have ever found relative to Planned Parenthood, I'll make, I'm not going to have a, I don't want to have a debate or anything, but all evidence that I have found in oh, yeah. research because I've paid attention is that Planned Parenthood does not use federal funds for abortions, that they're precluded from doing that by yeah. legislation. I think mm-hmm. that the argument is is that there shouldn't be an organization that does abortions that gets federal funding, even if they're not using that money. I think that's more accurate. Be that as it may. Yeah. I'll just say that because yeah. my listeners will go crazy. I agree. I, I agree with that. I, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, no, I, 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 was, really I, was, think, I, I think that that was a yeah. switch in my speaking. But you're right. That That's absolutely true is that, that it – because ultimately, I mean, money's fungible. Like you can move it from one account to another, and, and that, right, that right, would right, be right, the right. – that is the argument is that – yeah. Right. You Right. For the Republican the, – the proper the – proper accurate position on that is the Republican Party would prefer an organization that doesn't do abortions regardless of where the money comes from in order to get federal assistance, which is yeah. a completely different and, – and, and actually a more uh, – uh, 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 an accurate argument. But uh, putting that aside, yeah. so, that, yes, I, exactly. so I just wanted to point that out, and, and we can close on that note. Alex, I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate the candid discussion. Oh, well, I wish you, you well in, in your election, and, and and I'm happy to have met you, and I hope to see you around. I'm sure I will. And, and again, thank you so much, and enjoy your holiday, and happy Mother's Day to your family. All right. Thank you. You too, and please stay in touch. i uh, love to stay in touch with you and all of your listeners, and if any of them want to, they could go to advancethegop.com, where uh, they, there's a lot of information there that we've been trying to put out. Fantastic. Advance the GOP.com. Alex, you have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank, Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun. Uh, so uh, let me pay some bills real quick. Uh, you know, the Coffee Party Radio Network, we have a number of shows that air during the week. You know, we had a conversation here with Alex about prohibition. I, I recommend anybody interested in the subject listening to on Wednesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time, A Cup of Joe, which is actually a, a radio station that focuses on human rights and has an emphasis on prohibition. On Thursdays, we have Lunch with Loudon, which is Ian Loudon. Uh, that is at 3 o'clock uh, Eastern Time, noon Pacific, Lunch with Loudon. And on Saturdays, we have Politics Done Right by Egberto Willies, which is 1 o'clock Eastern Time, 10 o'clock Pacific Time. I'm at you every Sunday. We're going to be adding some more shows back and to fill some of the other slots here. We also have the Weekly Constitutional on Fridays uh, with your, your host. Uh, uh, Do it as your host. <laughs> it's going to kill me. And that's also at 3 o'clock Eastern and noon Pacific Time. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Really enjoyed the conversation. Always like to get to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on in our society. You know, local politics is what it's all about. Get involved. You know, your beliefs are your beliefs, and you're allowed to have them, everybody. That's the way it is. And and I really hope that you remember that your neighbors are allowed to have them as well, no matter what they are. And as long as you're not doing anything by force to hurt anybody, and you just have an opinion and you want to see things done this way for a good reason, don't be afraid to talk about it and and don't be afraid to listen to people. And, and everybody enjoy their Mother's Day. You know, we all have women in our lives that deserve our attention and, and our support and to celebrate their lives. 
and everybody have a fantastic day. I'm going to leave you with uh, a little message from another organization that I work for. For those who are out there who are trying to be politically active. You're an activist. You have a cause and an idea. But you also have lots of questions. You need help. After all, teams have coaches, corporations have consultants, and even politicians have campaign managers. But who do activists turn to? The Solutions Institute. We are a collection of professionals and activists from across the political spectrum. Our goal is to teach, motivate, and put all the necessary tools for activism in your hands without charge. Learn more or submit your project at solutions-institute.org. Bobby Rodrigo, would I take liberty with your coffee? Next week, we're going to get away from politics a little bit. I'm going to be having a marvelous conversation with the fantastic progressive rock band I.O. Earth, who I happen to have met recently, um, being involved with them around some events, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again next year. And we had a great conversation uh, moving, uh, leading up to the, to the interview. I'm going to play some music, and we're going to talk about the world in general. Until next week, everybody be, have a fantastic, safe rest of the week. Stay away from politics today, everybody. Enjoy your day. Bobby Rodrigo out.